Okay, Inappropriate Earl is back. We took a uh, brief hiatus just because, uh, you know, I had some uh, things going on in my life that needed uh, that attention that I devote to this podcast for free for you guys. So up top, please go on Apple Podcast, subscribe, review, and rate, and that way I can get bigger and better. Well, not necessarily better guests, but, you know, it's hard to ask a celebrity to come on when they see the podcast has two reviews. Now, a lot of you have left reviews, and you've seen the quality of guests in terms of name brand has risen. That's all I'm asking. It literally takes 30 seconds. And, you know, if you don't like the show, give it a one star and leave a bad review. I just want you guys to voice your opinions on what I'm doing so I can improve and take it to the next level. So I'm trying to uh, do non-stand-up or roast battle related episodes because you guys seem to be a little burned out on those. But I will say June 21st, the king of roast battle, the real deal, the man with the plan, 190 pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal, the most popular roaster in the history of that gong show, is back for a one-night battle only at Clusterfest in San Francisco. So you idiots who kept telling me that I was burning bridges with Comedy Central because I had the cojones, the balls to stand up for myself and speak for the unspoken and become a voice of the voiceless. You can kiss my ass because daddy's back and they're paying me, you freeloading slobs. And to uh, today's guest, I'd like to... (laughs) introduce well i thought it would be fun we're gonna it's like a tv episode originally uh i thought well we're just going to uh do a show where a millennial and uh, a man who is 50 year 50 years old reviews the same show so you can get both generations take on things so we're going to start off by reviewing the pilot episode which was basically a two-hour movie of, you know, my favorite show of all time, Miami Vice, with the great Chandler Barbie. Chandler, welcome yeah, back. Applause, applause. I have two things to say about your intro. One, I've never heard of a host saying, even if the review is bad, leave it. I've never. Well, I want true. <laughs> like, oh. it was just funny that it's kind of like all publicity is good publicity, even if it's bad. Well, I mean, first of all, on Apple Podcasts, you can't take down bad reviews. Yeah. Uh, and I don't want... Uh, I'm know, just saying it's funny that you're like, I don't care if they're bad. Just leave your thoughts for Big Daddy. But I want people to... Cre- because then what that does, let's say someone doesn't like the uh, the show. And, and you know, I think I have now uh, 408 ratings, uh, 11 bad ones. Uh, so there's 11 people out there don't that don't like what I do, but then maybe that stirs, stirs someone to leave a good review to say, Hey, no, I do like what he's uh, doing. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think people realize, and you know, you're very smart. You're, you're uh, behind the scenes. Uh, statistics, 33% of people are not going to like you the first time meeting you based on nothing. But a lot of it's algorithms on Apple podcasts. Oh yeah. Uh, in terms of uh, ratings, reviews, uh, that's why you see some uh, uh, 
podcasts who don't even have a hundred uh, reviews up in the top 20, 30, 40, uh, because they meet the algorithms of, of rankings and all that mm-hmm. stuff. So I never even realized how important uh, stuff like that is, you know. And also, I like that you were staring at yourself in the mirror when you were giving a Ric Flair-esque introduction for yourself. Well, because I've gotten a lot of uh, recent uh, enthusiasm of sorts for uh, wrestling promos through, and I believe you've been loosely watching this with me. watching a lot of Viceland there's a new uh, documentary series on Viceland called uh, The Dark Side of... It's either The Dark the Side of the Ring or The Dark Side of Wrestling. I think it's Dark, side, dark of side of the Ring. And uh, what that series is, is it goes really to mid-70s, late-70s, and early-80s uh, tragedies in the wrestling world, uh, except for the Montreal screw job, which was a little later on. But like they an episode about Bruiser Brody who got murdered in Puerto Rico uh, backstage in the showers. Then uh, they did one on the Von Erich family. That was so sad. That was so good that I was literally depressed for two days because yeah. it bummed me out. Uh, and then they did one this week about Gino Hernandez who was like a lesser known Ric Flair. I think his was so an inside job. I think someone killed him. Well, it just goes to show you... Uh, you know, that, that pro wrestling world in the mid 80s, late 70s was like completely crazy. Like, the documentary has very Boogie Nights vibes. Yeah, I mean, you had guys who, uh, you know, you see the slick, polished productions of today, you know, the WWE, which looks like a, you know, superhero movie. You know, if you watch Monday Night Raw and SmackDown and uh, other uh, shows like that, it's so. Uh, Fake. You know, they're all models and like the, all the women are, you know, uh, these beautiful, big titted, tanned, hair extensioned out broads. Whereas like this week's upcoming episode uh, is about the fabulous Moolah, who was like the first OG woman wrestler. Are they going to do one about Kamala? Uh, they should. I mean, that's a great, great story. Kamala's in the news uh, this week because there's a very funny video of him breaking character with the announcer oh yeah yeah i saw that oh did you see the met gala was this week this is a weird transition but someone on twitter did a feed of comparing every person's because so the theme was like camp which is very like drag queen-esque type of outfits and they compared each outfit to a rick flair outfit from the 80s and was like rick flair was the king of camp and it was so funny how well they like matched up that it was just a thread of like multiple photos of him. I mean, yeah, he was. Dresses. And Ric Flair's in a lot of the Viceland uh, documentary uh, series because he was wrestling. Like he wrestled Gino Hernandez. Uh, and, and uh, you know, back in the 80s, wrestling wasn't really on TV that much. And there was no internet. So, like, what there, did, how did you listen to it? The radio? Uh, there's wrestling magazines that you would literally run to the newsstand. They came out once a month, and you usually be like Pro Wrestling Illustrated, and and you know it was really you really thought it was real. Like you thought, as you know, you've been at my yeah. computer desk. There's a and a fan sent me this. You know, twenty years of comedy. You know, a lot of struggle, but you know some good things. 
And the thing that made me the happiest is one day I get a package at the comedy store. And it's a pretty big package. So I thought, oh, this is a fan. A oh. yeah, Well, probably. <laughs> uh, a fan sent me something, and I opened it up, and some fan found me an Abdullah the Butcher doll. Yeah. Which, if you like pro wrestling, you'll realize Abdullah the Butcher is... He's not obscure, but back then he was in only in the magazines. Yeah, you have a little wrestling shrine. You have your Piper drink. Yeah, yeah, my my uh, bubblegum uh, soda drink. Yeah, and then I have my Abdullah the Butcher doll, and then I have my RoboCop figurine, who uh, was in the uh, I think he was in Starcade WCW Starcade, uh, which you know was when wrestling was getting a little wacky. You know when they had RoboCop and Sting be a tag team. Imagine the freedom though back then to be able to be whoever you were, because you could literally everyone's a. It's so easy to be a character because they can't. There wasn't really TMZ that goes on the internet or anything, so you, there was no Twitter. Well, it was so uh, realistic that uh, the heels, which are the bad guys in wrestling, like Chino Hernandez and uh, Abdullah the Butcher was definitely a heel. Kamala was a heel. They did not uh, drive around to the next gig with the good guys. They mm-hmm. wanted them to be separated. Well, that's like two. Uh, Rob Riggle was telling me the other day, because he's a big wrestling fan. I know he's been on your show. He was saying when he was like 14, I guess, 14, 15, he was scared of the bad guys because he actually thought it was all real. And when he'd see him backstage, because he grew up in Kansas City, they would go to the arena and like yell at him, you know, when they were like walking out and stuff. But like he said, he remembers like coming face to face with some of them and was like terrified because number one, they're huge. And number two, he really believed the storyline. Well, yeah. Now you could see like, uh, I don't know, Seth Rollins at Gold's Gym in Venice work, working out with Dolph Ziggler. Like they're in a right. feud. They're not supposed to be working out together. Like back then, if you walked into a, a gym in wherever, Texas or Georgia or anywhere, you would not see Kamala working out with, say, uh, you know, Sting. You know, one's mm-hmm. a good guy, one's a bad guy. Uh, and so that, and, you know, there was just no, I mean, it, people don't realize what it was like with no internet. Like, I think it's like how it's the equivalent of now when there's Twitter fights between comics or whoever, and it's not if you're if you're good at playing character you make it believable but then like you'll see the two comics later hanging out at the comedy store even though they're like in a twitter fight for the rest of the world yeah like on a very yeah. very small scale me and well, yeah and yeah that's okay so yeah well no but like me and eddie ift uh we are always kidding around on twitter but i've even asked you i'm like some of your tweets i'm like are those real because i don't know if i should be mad at someone or not and people come up to me and go, why, do, why don't you like Eddie Eft? And I know people have came up to him in like Australia where he is a big, big comic and tours a lot. It's like, do you really hate that American guy? And like, and then they see us at the comedy store, like you said, hanging out. Uh, so, but it was, you know, it was just such a different era to be a pro wrestling fan because you literally would wait for that one be- beginning of the month to go, to go get the magazine of a match that happened a month ago. Like, you know, now you could literally, if you wanted to watch Abdullah the Butcher wrestle uh, in Puerto Rico or wherever, you could watch the live stream of, of him. You could watch it, him yeah. actually wrestle. Uh, but it's also like, you know, then there's Wikipedia, which completely ruins uh, 
any uh, suspension of, of belief because you can go, oh, Abdullah the Butcher, he's not really from the Sudan. He's from, uh, you know, Atlanta. Uh, so it's just, that's why that documentary series is so fascinating. I don't know if younger wrestling fans will be into it because they're like, well, this guy's not. It's interesting because I think Viceland is, it's a younger company anyway, but they make, re- all their documentaries are shot really well. So they're interesting, even if you're not a big wrestling fan. So I've watched a few of the episodes with you just because there's they're really good stories. And it's and pro wrestling is specifically, even if you don't like pro wrestling, which I'm assuming you're not like the biggest pro wrestling fan I outside am, of like Hulk I am Hogan, the biggest hockey and pro wrestling fan. But I mean, like you, you strike me as the type of fan that okay, you liked Hulk Hogan maybe when he was big, and, and I like. The Rock. Yeah, like, I mean, that's like, you like the mainstream yeah. guys. Like, you know. I like the girl wrestlers. Like, I like Eva Marie. Right, yeah. I mean, but that's like the Bella Twins. I didn't like the Bellas. Well, I like the one that's married to Brian. Yeah, Daniel Bryan. Then the other yeah, one was like married uh, to John Cena. No, they broke up. He won't get married again. You don't know the hot gossip. Well, I mean, that's like what I don't like about wrestling nowadays. It's like it's scripted and like you would never have a series. Even if you had the internet and TV back then, you would never see Abdullah the Butcher, uh, you know, doing a show about his marriage. Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, which is lent to you actually thinking it was real. Like, But reality is the reality shows are the new fake reality i think but i don't no, like them because now they're not now i've known it an- ruins wrestling yeah but i mean like with reality shows i've watched enough and know enough reality i don't know if stars is the right word but re- people who are on those shows to know it's not real yeah like it's set up scenes you know it's like why is there a cameraman oh my gosh i looked up the other day stupidly i looked up uh the truth about survivor and it was telling me like all the parts that are fake. Cause you know how like when we watch it, I'm like, that's so fake or that's so scripted or he's reading a teleprompter. Um, Cause nine years in the film industry has ruined everything for me. But there's like, it just made me, I feel like I ruined the show for myself now because I know how much of it isn't real. Well, it's like this season. If you watch Survivor, what's the one? Devins. Devins. Rick Devins. That's so calculated. They want him to go to the final three. He's like a guy. If you don't watch Survivor, uh, which uh, you know, I mean, I guess a lot of people He's do. He's a news anchor. He looks like Jared from Subway. I mean, literally, literally, look, like that kind of like dumpy, nerdy out of shape guy and uh and he's gotten almost four immunity idols no fucking way and they've painted him as like this lovable loser that everyone hates but yet every week he finds the rea- uh, the immunity idols and he saves himself and he, he oh but i was like oh, past contestants or camera guys they always have the scoop and they always reveal it um they were saying how if you take a camera guy if you can sneak off from camp and tell the crew to go with you, you always find an immunity aisle because the camera guys will tell you where to look. Yeah, I mean, that sucks. So that, that's what I'm saying. It's like, sorry, guys, I just ruined Survivor for you. Well, yeah, I mean, if you don't think that, you know, situations are set up where, like I did one episode, uh, I was actually somewhat in an episode of Vanderpump Rules where I was one of the comics on the show. And, uh, you know, they 
I guess rented out the whole improv and uh, oh, they, is, did they stuff it full of fans? Uh, no, I mean I think it was a pretty legit audience. Uh, and then uh, you know I didn't want to be in the episode, you know, because then you know once you get roped into you know a reality show person, you just it's a road to uh, nowhere if you're not yeah. on the show. Like Jack's benefits, I don't. And I shouldn't. Uh, so I showed my dick pic uh, when I was doing stand-up to every camera, basically ensuring I wouldn't be used. Uh, but I still got to perform in front of a sold-out improv crowd. But after the actual stand-up show, I saw how they set up scenes. Mm -hmm. Like they had one scene where I think it was Jackson and Brittany were talking at a table. And they they moved them. And they moved them and said, okay, over here. And they set up the, you know... Uh, I forget what they were talking about in that one particular scene, but it was like, I don't know what they told them, but it was essentially, it looked to me anyway, like, okay, argue about this. And then yeah. the next scene was the people they were, I think Kristen and maybe her boyfriend Carter or something. Uh, so it's interesting to see how they set up the scenes. It's all manipulated by producers, but Hey, it's good TV. Back to the main event today though. Yeah, we got off. Sorry, but so watch Dark Side of uh, the Ring. It's uh, Viceland. I think it's Wednesday nights. Even if you don't like pro wrestling, it, it's such a well done documentary that. Uh, and Survivor. Watch Survivor. Yeah, watch Survivor. I think uh, this next upcoming Wednesday is the season finale, two yeah. hours. Um, and uh, let's get back to the topic of hand. And this is a typical episode of this podcast where we start out wanting to talk about Miami Vice and. 30 minutes later, we start talking about Miami Vice. So, You're welcome. Well, you know, I want the episode to uh, feel like uh, it's just two people talking at a bar. Um, I so, like that. I mean, you know, people... I'll write that review. Podcasts are basically background noise, I think, to a lot of people. Yeah. like it's, I, It's water cooler information. Yeah, like I know I listen to Rogan's on in the background... Uh, I actually listen to his on YouTube just because I, I like the visual. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, it's when I'm writing jokes or just, I don't know, researching joke topics. And uh, he's such a well... Uh, Guys, tweet Earl if you want him to start filming his podcast and putting them on YouTube too. But you got to leave a review because frankly, yeah, guys... Yeah, leave it on the review. Frankly, guys, I'm discouraged with the lack of reviews and... Uh, uh, you know empathy that a lot of the viewers oh we'll just sit there and this guy will work the person for person who leaves a thousandth review will get a signed dick pic from earl skankel well i must bring that up because i was on the danish and o'neill podcast and i jokingly said uh i will send anyone a dick pic who paypals me ten dollars and i was kidding and i've got like five requests all from dudes <laughs> All saying the same thing. Hey, bro, no homo. I just want to see the hog. And they PayPal me $10, and I refunded each person. Even though 50 bucks for showing your dick pic. It's a pretty good business plan. People from our podcast one time started Venmoing me money because I said my Venmo name. I had to change my Venmo name because, well, I probably shouldn't have, but I don't know where that story was going. Basically, what I'm saying is, you sent me the money, so. Well, I I have almost uh, started a Kickstarter uh, or GoFundMe. I guess it's the new big 
big one. Uh, and I just said, I don't need any help with anything. I just want to see how many idiots out there would send me money. And I know I would probably make a few That's grand. Like Patreon. Like Patreon's a new thing of that. Like it's the secret internet. Well, at least with Patreon, it's like usually a podcast will say, well, we're going to kind of like when I used to do Facebook and Instagram live, I would cut it and go, hey, if you want to listen to the rest, you got to go to Apple podcast. Yeah. You know, that's kind of what people are doing now. It's bonus footage or extras that you could, you, you know, have to pay like five bucks for. Or, or something. girls sell pictures of their titties. Yeah. Like my friend, uh, I don't know if you know this girl, Lindsay Jennings, she does like a, a secret, uh, not Snapchat, but... Uh, oh, yeah, it's the private Snapchats. I have girlfriends that do that and make so much money. Yeah, I mean, if you're a hot chick, I don't know how that works for good dudes. Maybe in the gay community you can make money. Uh, you know, I don't know. Or like uh, sell pictures of your feet on the internet. Oh, yeah. I, I have several friends who are foot models or come from that fetish world of feet or whatever and they make pretty good living so what do you think the f i feel like so you know how most usually men have foot fetishes for women i feel like the foot fetish equivalent for a woman on a man is hands i mean you know everyone uh you know it goes to the joke uh, that you helped me with about you know michael jackson like yeah. what his fetish was was literally having seven-year-old boys spread their butt cheeks like that to me is so disgusting like who wants to look at someone's butthole but to him it was the greatest thing on earth mm -hmm. like you know i like tits some i uh, like people with money <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck uh but like everyone's different like some people tits are gross like just, yeah. it's just fat uh you know, to some people, you know, they like anal or whatever. Like everyone is a a, a thing. So feet and hands. That's I true. mean, hands are nice to look at. I mean, it, I like oh. hands. Like, um, I like good hair too. Yeah, hair is a, even if you're you know like going bald, but you have a good hairstyle. I like, think I like beards too. Like you have a beard right now, and it looks really good. Oh, thanks. I mean, you know, I don't usually uh, have a beard, but. uh you know, every now and then I like to give the, I shave so much, I like to give the uh, face a break. The hockey playoffs. Yeah, yeah. Go uh, Hurricanes, although they lost 5-2 uh, to two last night. But let's get to the topic of hand. Oh, sorry. As many of you know, I'm uh, a child of the 80s. When you're born in 1968, you're a teenager in the 80s. And uh, probably one of, if not the most popular show. I know there was uh, the Cosby show, which was a... Might have been the most popular show from the 80s, but uh, Dallas was certainly very popular, especially uh, around the Who Shot JR episode, which was really the last, I think, great, outside of the the season or the, uh, the series ending of the uh, Sopranos, the Who Shot JR episode was, I believe it was the most watched episode in television history. Maybe tied with MASH's uh, final episode, but... Uh, and once again, there was no internet. And I think the Who Shot JR episode was around 83 or 84. Mm -hmm. So you couldn't go on gossip sites. And, and it was really well done where... And, and we should watch that because it's, it's... I mean, Dallas is a little dated just because it was, you know, big 80s and, you know, big hair and oil and... and but... Uh, you know, they had it set up where 10 people could have shot JR and each one had 
a reason. A good reason. So the way they dragged it out, and it was like a pro wrestling reveal at the end. And at the end, it was, uh, I think her name was. Just uh, an old case of who done it. Yeah, but it was so well done. And the writing was so good that you literally, I mean, it was the whole nation stopped that night. It was a Friday night. And uh, that's crazy. You know, it gets gets us to our next topic, which was Miami Vice, which dun, dun, dun. was uh, a series created by the legend of Michael, Michael Mann. Man. And uh, also created by Anthony Yurkovich. We don't want to leave him out. Um, and it was the 80s on steroids. The epitome of the 80s. Cocaine, white suits, convertibles, Miami, disco, hookers, crime. Uh, pastels. Uh, Bikinis. Um, it was like a, a glamier version of Scarface. Mm -hmm. um, but if you, and we're going to talk about the pilot specifically, uh, but the show overall was a very dark, you know, if you can read under the surface of it, it was a dark show. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, Don Johnson was married and he still loved his wife, but, you know, he's getting tons of pussy. So he's conflicted there and and tubs, uh, you know, his brother. Wait, him and his wife were divorced. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, he was still in love with his first wife, oh, okay. but, uh, you know, and then they addressed. Wait, does he get remarried? Did you just ruin a season for me? No, 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 he doesn't. But, like, she was she was a recurring character. And then Tubbs Sandy. was hell-bent on revenge for the death of his brother in mm -hmm. the pilot. And, uh, you know, Switek, who was uh, the surveillance cop, yeah. uh, he uh, in later seasons developed a severe gambling problem. And then Zito, uh, you know, uh, left the show in uh, midway through season three. Uh, he he had uh, some problems, so it was a dark. It wasn't just like a a sitcom esque, you know, like Brooklyn Nine Nine. Uh, it was it was a pretty dark show. Mm -hmm. And uh, back, you know, this is before uh, you watched the pilot with me, which yeah. was probably which was two hours. I thought I was watching a movie. And maybe, I, I would guess, especially for the time, probably the most expensive TV pilot ever made. This is what this is my theory on that. I've done no research on the matter. I think Michael Mann, they pitched this as a movie with the script and everything, because that script to be two hours, that script was easily 100 pages. Um... I bet what happened was they did it as a, he wanted to do it as a movie, and then they're like, this is so good, we should just make this a series. Well, it was... Uh, didn't they replace some people from the pilot or something like that? Well, the, that's probably the most interesting thing about the show was the casting, because um, you know, especially for Sonny Crockett, they're, every big name in... in uh, the TV land was being considered for that. Nick Nolte was considered for Sonny oh, Crockett, really? Jeff Bridges, uh, Mickey Rourke. Um, Mickey Rourke is hilarious. And, uh, you know, he's in some commercial now, but Gary Cole, who was the dad in the Brady Bunch uh, yeah. movies, he was inches away from getting uh, the Sonny Crockett part. 
Um, Larry Wilcox, who was, uh, if you were a little older, like 50 and above, uh, he was Eric Estrada's partner in Chips, uh, the blonde guy. He was uh, very close to getting uh, the Don Johnson part. And then uh, you know, Jimmy Smith was uh, in the pilot episode. Uh, and uh, Gregory Sierra was uh, Detective Lou Rodriguez. And uh, apparently, and this just goes to show you, now maybe he didn't, uh, you know, I guess when you're working on a pilot, you don't know if it's going to be big or not. You don't even know if it's going to be picked up. But I think the, the amount of money they put on it, um, they had to have known. But you never know. I mean, I was, yeah. not, not to turn this into my my, uh, my experiences, but I once did a pilot in 2012 that they spent a couple hundred thousand dollars on. Certainly nowhere near what they spent on Miami Vice. Uh, I mean, they had, uh, for one scene, they got one of the world's only 3D cameras uh, to shoot the final scene of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and the cast was really amazing. I mean, everyone from that pilot works today. Um, was never even pitched. Like, they literally yeah. never pitched. And they shot, produced, and edited so, I mean, I could see where the, I mean, you know, you've been involved in pilots that just go away. I mean, uh, just for whatever reasons, uh, you know, I did a pilot uh, about uh, rappers and uh, coming back from the dead. And, and just like a month later, Jamie Kennedy's movie, uh, Malibu's Most Wanted, came out the and best. they just forgot about the pilot i did it was just oh it's the same pretty much the same idea yeah jamie kennedy's a big star uh, i think nick swartzen was either in it or wrote it so it was like oh yeah we're gonna go with this one so uh and you know cop uh series are you know there are a lot of them Dime a dozen i think back then uh, hill street blues was on uh, uh you know i can't really think what cop uh, shows were on uh you know, that Magnum PI, uh, you know, uh, a lot of shows like that were on. So I could see it not being a complete guarantee. Mm-hmm. But with Michael Mann, I'm sure you're right that they might have had a okay as long as this is. just like what he's known for. Like I know Christopher Nolan, when he did the Dark Knight trilogy, he, a lot of his influences were from Michael Mann and like Michael Mann movies because he has that dark element and cop related stories that he does with everything. So I feel like him doing a a detective type of TV show was just money for them. Any executive producer was like, yep, this, this makes sense. This is going to be, because it's estimated it was $5 million to shoot the pilot. Oh, a lot of money in the eighties In 84. That's, that was probably a bigger budget than most movies. Mm Mm-hmm. Like that you saw in, you know, theaters, uh, because it was, you know, it was in Miami. You just can't close down streets in Miami. Like, you know, or even the boat chases and stuff or like the safety that goes into that and the helicopter scenes, like car chases. It's crazy. It was, I can't believe there's like, I've only seen two, two episodes. I've never even seen the show. I can't believe that was just the pilot. There was so much information, but I liked it. 
Why did you like it though? Because you're a millennial. So like, you know, it's always curious to me, like when I would see, uh, say like in the eighties, when I would see something from the sixties, I'd be like, oh, this doesn't really hold up. Yeah. So I am a big fan of the movie Drive, which my favorite director did, Nicholas Winding Refn. Um, and I'm a big fan of the movie Nightcrawler with Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, and I also am a big fan of like movies from the 90s, like Fear, Cape Fear, uh, The Boiler Room, The Boogie Nights. Was Boogie Nights the 90s? Were you right? about to say Boiler Room? Yeah, Boiler Room. Great movie. Um, so I like the dark movies that have neon lights in them, but they're mainly shot at night. And a lot of people don't know a lot of times the reason in the 80s movies like that were shot at night because it was cheaper because no one was on the road. They could close down the streets. Um, so they shot it that way, but it created this whole cult of a, a style because of that. So I'm a big fan of that style. So because I like directors now who are influenced by people like Michael Mann, I've went back and started watching more of his stuff, which is why you told me we should watch Miami Vice. Um, well, we first started off with his movie uh, Thief. Yeah. With James Caan. Which was really good. Which used a lot of people who ended up eventually being in not just Miami Vice, but the show he did after Miami, or uh, when Miami Vice was taking off, he did a show about the mob called crime I'm story. I'm also like such a big fan of movies, even like casino and Scarface. Um, and this has a very, it, it feels like one of those movies. That's why my, it's just, it blew my mind. It was just a pilot. And I remember telling you that when we watched it, because it felt like a movie. Uh, and the scene, the Phil Collins scene, when they're in the convertible and they're driving to the fish right. market, that's, that right there is such a staple to the show. I feel like it was just so satisfying to watch it. Like night wind blowing in their hair. Phil Collins is on great song choice for that time. It was a good choice. I don't know. Well, it's, a lot of people complain that Miami vice later on would just be like one hour music videos. Uh, but that's like, there's such a, there's so many people that are, fans of that like i am a big fan of like i have a lot of vinyl i sound like such a fucking hipster i'm not but i have a lot of um movies like indie movies and stuff that are on i have their soundtracks on vinyl um because i think most of my favorite movies have really good soundtracks and i think that's one of the things i like about the movie is the score the musical score and stuff so i and I think that is a big 80s thing. Like, think of Boogie Nights when they did the Jesse girl scene. That's an iconic scene in that movie. But everyone knows it as the Jesse's girl scene. They don't know it as the drug dealer scene. Or that's just like, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, that's... Uh, and that scene specifically was made about someone that I'm obsessed with, Eddie Nash who uh, was the number one drug dealer in uh, 
the West, on the West Coast. I mean, they own the club, the Starwood, which was where Motley Crue got their start. Mm -hmm. uh, it's funny, it's on Crescent Heights in Santa Monica now, which is a Russian deli, but they still kept the uh, facade of the uh, top of the Starwood, which was like a kind of a, a Taj Mahal type of uh, uh, top of a building. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, Boogie Nights was uh, a nice homage to 80s porn. Uh, but uh, Miami Vice was uh, it was like a blender of fashion, music, uh, Scarface with the drugs, um, and the casting. Uh, you know, the I think the coolest thing about Miami Vice, certainly in the pilot, and then in almost every episode, was the casting, yeah. the like, guest stars. I like the dialogue too. Like when Caroline was talking to Sunny, uh, and he, she was like. You're all players, Sonny. You're addicted to the action. It's just such a... The stakes could never be higher situation at all times. You know, like it's... I feel like I always... The 80s are so fascinating to me, the decade, because I feel like everyone... It was, a, it was almost like the 1920s, where it was like a constant party. Cocaine was new to a lot of people um everyone was going out everyone was going to the club but if you listen to the music if you watch the movies if you look at the fashion it was such a passionate decade like everything was so dramatic like if you listen to any air supply song it's like i'm i can't go on without you if you listen to any chicago song it's this you know what I, it's like do or die and i feel like that's why so many people in the 80s were so like, baby, we're going to work this out no matter what. And I don't, I, I think that's one thing my generation has different than yours is we're like, nah, whatever. If it doesn't work out, like next, move on. So it's, it's interesting to watch movies now because it, it is such a different uh, vibe that people give off and, in that decade well i find now it, it's it's like it's just a bunch of good looking people some are good actors some aren't but like yeah you know you look at like the avengers which i haven't seen but like it's a it's a good looking cast i mean but like like a superhero movie that i grew up with was like superman was and certainly christopher reeve was a very good looking guy uh but like the bad guy wasn't some good looking you know uh, hugh jackman look alike it was gene hackman right who's a good looking guy but uh, you know for an older dude back then but it was like this guy's just a great actor uh you know right. and, and like the uh, superman 2 uh which i was lucky enough to have one of the bad guys on this podcast oh i thought you were about to say you were lucky enough to be in it I no, was like, no wait what yes i played jimmy olsen the newspaper boy but like they weren't necessarily good looking people, but they were just like Terrence Stamp was just an amazing bad guy. An average looking. I think that that's the difference in Hollywood now, too, is it's agents tell you one of two things. You either have to be the fittest you can be, healthiest and best looking, or you have to be a fat fucking slob. There's no in between. Like there's no average looking people. Does that make sense? But but back in the 80s, there were. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like now it's not like that. It's one or the other. Like 
there's Jonah Hill and then there's Chris Pratt. You know what I mean? Or not Chris Pratt, um, Chris Hemsworth. But even Chris Pratt, like, shaped up. Like, he used to be kind of like a chubbo. And now he's... Do you know who Chris Pratt is? Or? Yeah. He's that guy. He's a good looking guy. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like, and it goes almost back to us starting to, you know, the podcast with talking about pro wrestling. Like, where now all these pro wrestlers are like these, you know, good looking, beautiful, sculpted dudes. There's not really, you know, people like Abdullah the Butcher, who was just some huge, grotesque slob. Uh, you know, I mean, I think the 80s was more realistic, uh, you know, in all forms of entertainment. Like, you know, Gene Hackman did look like a bad guy. You know, he wasn't some sculpted, you know, beautiful, you know, evil, blue-eyed beauty, uh, you know, where it's like the bad guys in, in a lot of movies today are just like these, you know, polished. Russian. Yeah, you know, even like, even in Die Hard, which Hans von Gruber was like the best, I think he was the best screen villain ever. You know, he was a very polished, good looking dude. Mm -hmm. And all the other bad guys were actually models who'd never acted before. Uh, I like, I, I don't know, it sounds weird. You wouldn't think I would prefer better acting over looks, but I just, you know, like the wrestlers of, the, of yesterday were better actors. Like you, like Rob, told you he hated the bad guys yeah because he thought they were actually bad guys mm -hmm. uh, you know versus today where you know they're just reading the script okay i gotta say this to look like a dick you know it's like i remember telling rowdy uh, roddy piper uh that i hated him as a kid and i could tell he got bummed out he's like why did you hate me i'm like because you, you did were a good job a, yeah i thought you were a dick and he kind of laughed and he's like, no, I get it. I was, mm -hmm. uh, but to, you know, today, you know, cause the internet, I think has ruined a lot of, uh, you know, surprise elements and, yeah. you know, for me anyway, it's, it's taken away, uh, a lot of, you know, there's, you know, like you said, with survivor, there's things on YouTube you can watch of you know, behind the scenes, mm -hmm. you know, where there were no behind the scenes back when I was watching superhero movies, pro wrestling, TV shows, you know. You like things to be left to the imagination. Well, yeah, like, you know, Miami Vice, you know, there wasn't, you know, really, uh, I mean, that that was kind of the era of where uh, those half hour gossip type shows were coming to the forefront. Mm -hmm. uh, but like, you couldn't really look up much about Don Johnson or Philip Michael Thomas. So you almost thought they really were Sonny Crockett and Ricardo Dubs. Like, I mean, you knew they weren't, but like, uh, and the bad guys were like, you know, they look like bad guys. They weren't like supermodels or, um, you know, eat the bad guy in the pilot episode called the Roan of Miami Vice was, he looked like a. He looked like someone that would be a bad guy. A Cuban, you know, with the gold Drug teeth, dealer. and like, uh, you know, nowadays if they redid, uh, well, if you, the Miami Vice the movie was horrible because it was Colin Farrell as, you know, it's just like no. Jamie Fox, right? Yeah, I mean Jamie Fox is. I mean they're both like super good looking. I don't see them as cops. Well, the weird thing about that movie was. Uh, 
I'm assuming you never saw the movie. No. Didn't really pay tribute to the TV show. But it's also like the guy that plays Tubbs looks like a New York cop. He has the swagger of one. He played it. And then Crockett was very Southern. He was a very Miami cop. Yeah. He was like, like even when he told him in the pilot, he was like, the thing around here is we move at a slower pace in the South. And it's like such a thing a, a Southern cop would say to you is like, we don't move fast here. That that may be how you do it in New York, but that's not how we do it down south. Like even Gregory Sierra, who was the the captain in the first few episodes, mm-hmm. uh, who ironically left the show, I think, over a pay dispute. I think he lived in L.A. and they obviously filmed in Miami and he wanted more money or something that for the, the plane, first class tickets or something. They're like, no, I'll just... Reasonable. And that's when they brought in Edward James Olmos, who uh, is a great uh, actor to this day. Uh, but, you know, Gregory Sierra looked like a Miami Metro police sergeant. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and Edward James Olmos uh, looked like... Well, it's a, typecasting. But yeah, but I mean, typecasting in some cases works, and in some cases it doesn't. Like, you know I love Sons of Anarchy, Uh but Charlie Hunnam, Hunnam, is it Hunnam or Hunnam? Hunnam I think. Charlie Hunnam. Sorry, Charlie. Uh, he does not look like the leader of a Hell's Angels type. Uh, no. But it worked. He's mm-hmm. such a good actor that he pulled it off. And Ron Perlman certainly does not look like the leader of a uh, mm-hmm. Hell's Angels uh, type of organization. And he killed it. And like, Walton Goggins does not look like a cross-dressing hooker. Yeah, Venus Van Dam. Yeah, but he pulled it off, baby. And uh, who? Uh, uh, Kim Coates, who uh, played Tig on the show. If mm-hmm. you've ever seen Kim Coates and other things, like he was uh, in uh, CSI Miami a few times, and, and he's been in a lot of things. If you would have said uh, that Kim Coates was going to be the uh, sergeant of arms of a Hells Angels type motorcycle gang on a TV show, I'd be like, uh, no, that's not going to work. And he killed it. Yeah, that's um, true. So it was that was a show. And uh, Scott Glenn, we we talk about pilots, and I really hope that one day the original uh, pilot of Sons of Anarchy somehow it will never uh, airs. It never will. Why not? Because they're not going to release something. That, do you know how many lawyers would sue them? They like the production company probably owns owns it. But you would have to pay all of those actors in it uh, money. Well, just uh, the reason why I want to see it so badly was Scott Glenn, who, yeah. of course, uh, most, I mean, he's in uh, so many things. Why do you always want what you can't have, though? Because I think it's, they did a full pilot. Like, uh, but, but why do you want to see it? Like, this is, let's talk about this a minute, Earl. Why do you always want? what doesn't exist or you're never like you're you can't have it because it's i'm such a fan of the show and i always love i'm a big casting nut i always (laughs) no i i always have said that if i my career in stand-up stopped or you know whatever reason i i didn't want to do comedy anymore i I, uh, let's say i got hit in the throat with a hockey puck and i had to stop doing voiceover work um 
that I would love to be a casting director. Okay, I want to ask. Okay, because I have an eye. Let's pretend you're a casting director. But right now. just before we do that, I, I, you know, Scott Glenn was the Ron Perlman part. Right. Uh, Emilio Rivera, who uh, in not just Sons of Anarchy, but the Mayans, which was. Uh, the spinoff of Sons of Anarchy. Yeah. I have mixed feelings on that. He was originally a Sam Crow member. He was a good guy in the pilot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just love seeing, like I love on YouTube, there are the original screen tests for Han Solo before Harrison Ford was mm-hmm. fully cast. And you see like uh, Perry King, who was a pretty big actor in the 70s and 80s, he was like an inch away from getting it. William Catt, the greatest American hero for you older people. He was this close to getting um, uh, the Han Solo role. And for you uh, fans of The Wire, uh, Glenn Thurman, who played the mayor in The Wire, was, uh, I believe he got so close to the role of Han Solo that there are pictures of him in test uh, yeah test shots of him and uh, also rumors that the uh that's why there's pictures of the millennium falcon with a dub sticker on the back because there was a black han solo hello just kidding on that last part so i'm always uh obsessed with uh you know you watch uh you know miami vice and you think wow how would it i could see nick nolte as the sunny crockett absolutely uh so i love anything like like you know i know uh i was when i was opening up for rob schneider uh this is when he had his show on uh cbs uh, rob i think it was called rob, real uh, rob. well real rob i think it was what it went to on netflix but i think on cbs it was just called rob oh, and uh the pilot episode do you ever see uh officer and a gentleman yes a long time ago uh, well for those of you who uh Saw Officer and a Gentleman, uh, the real, uh, in uh, the pilot for the Rob Schneider uh, CBS show, uh, uh, there was a Hispanic actor who played his uh, father-in-law. And he's uh, he's in like tons of things. I'm forgetting his name right now, but he was a little short Mexican uh, guy in Officer and a Gentleman. And uh, he, you know, they shot the full pilot. Um, mm-hmm. And then... They either did some test uh, views of it, and they were like, oh, he's not funny enough. And th- this guy's a great actor. And then they replaced him with Cheech, so they had to reshoot the pilot again. So oh, shit. I just love, uh, you know, like I would have loved to have seen that Sons of Anarchy uh, pilot just to see how Scott Glenn, because he's kind of a, I could see him, uh, you know, I know they, they said during one of the table reads, and this might have been the reason he got uh, removed from the show uh, that they had like uh, standards and practices in the room. They're like, well, you know, it's a, we know it's a show about, you know, bikers and it's going to be a lot of wacky stuff, but we got to tone it down. And I guess he looked at a female uh, executive in the room and said something to the effect of, so we can't call this girl a cunt. And, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> you know, but that kind of is the spirit of what an outlaw biker would say. Yeah. So I just like, uh, I'm a, but then they're like, no, she produces the show. Yeah, and uh, pays your, pays Can we get Ron Perlman on the line? <laughs> um, <laughs> so I've always, any movie I see, I'm like, I wonder who else would be good at this. Right. It's also, though, like, it's like I can tell a joke, you can tell a joke, and someone else can tell a joke, and it'll be different every time it's told. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, 
But like I, I'm trying to think of a, what's a show we both watch. Uh, RuPaul's Drag Race. But I mean, like a TV show, like. Uh, oh. You know, like like like. Well, you saw the pilot of Miami Vice. You know, you know actors. Yeah. Well, uh, that's like The Office. Right. Um, Seth Rogen was originally supposed to be Kevin, um, who who's played by Brian uh, Baumgarten and or Baumgartner. And I've watched the like test for those and the show would be so different or like Will Forte was supposed to be in it and play like Dwight, I think. Um, Michael Scott was originally supposed to be, uh, I don't remember because there's only one Michael Scott in my mind and that is Steve Carell, but the whole show would have been different. Yeah. I mean, you you look at, uh, you know, we talked about Die Hard. Uh, you know, Bruce Willis was literally like the seventh choice. Like they wanted like Schwarzenegger and Stallone. But isn't and- it crazy how that like propels someone's career so fast when they take a chance? Because like American Psycho was originally supposed to be Leonardo DiCaprio. And the director, who is a female, um, for a year petitioned over and over and said she wanted Christian Bale. over Because he at the time was not that big of an actor and she originally met with him and was like, that's him. That's Patrick Bateman for a year. was like, no, you have it. You have it. I want you. I'm not going to direct it unless he's Patrick Bateman. And the studio fought her for an entire year and like postponed the movie because they wanted Leo in it. And Leo at the time was shooting Titanic or something. And or, then he turned down the movie because he got another movie. And, uh, they gave it to Christian Bale. And I can't imagine anyone else being Patrick Bateman but him. I mean, I could see DiCaprio in it. He's obviously a great actor, but it wouldn't, I don't know if it would have the physical, uh, you know, like some of the vainness. Of, I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio, I'm sure, because he just hired a trainer and gotten ripped. Mm-hmm. But I mean, uh, Christian Bale is such a method actor that he got all jacked up and like so those scenes where he's working out and really you know probably the year of training he did just for that one scene where he's skipping rope and he's like well this guy's right. a great fucking body uh you know in the sex scenes where he's like looking at himself in the mirror again he like does the bicep pose and it's like this big old bicep or even the fact that he had run around in his underwear at the end yeah sorry to everyone if you haven't seen that movie but. Well, I think everyone who listens to this podcast has seen American Psycho. That's true. Uh, but, you know, well, it goes back to, uh, in a similar thing, uh, Stallone and Rocky. Like, no one wanted him in the lead role. Nobody. Mm-hmm. They wanted, like, I, I think they said at some point, uh, uh, like, Robert Redford or someone like that. They wanted him. And, like, yeah, he's a good-looking guy and all. But, he, you know, Stallone really, he's obviously not Stallone dumb. Stallone looks like a boxer. But yeah, he's got that, you know, for for the story of Rocky, a, you know, a basically a dumb, dim-witted prize fighter. I mean, Stallone nailed it. Right. Like, yeah, you could have gotten a better looking guy. Uh, you know, I'm trying to think it was like, a, like you could have gotten a Travolta who was, you know, 76. He was like, you know, just great looking dude, but it, it just wouldn't have been the same. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, okay. So let's pretend you're a casting director. Okay. And I'm going to walk in and I've just, you've seen my headshot. 
Okay. I'm I'm new to town and from the south. I just got an agent. I have blue eyes for all you listeners. Freckles. Blonde hair. What would you say to me? I would cast you in the remake of Camp I Me Love. Oh my god, my dream come true. But you look like Amanda Peterson, rest in peace. Uh, You know, I would cast you in, uh, uh, you know. Do I look like a mean cheerleader? You could. I mean, I would cast you like, uh, you know, like in the movie She's All That. They they had a. Oh, yeah. I would cast you in the role of that cunty girl. Uh, I forget. Oh, I thought you were going to cast me as a. Lainey Boggs. No, I was, I would cast you. I forget. And I, I, I'm forgetting her name, but the cunty girl with black hair, she ended up being in prison break, uh, in the last couple seasons. Uh, I'll look her name up in a second. Uh, when I ask you a long winded question so I can look up on the computer. Uh, but, uh, you know, we all, uh, have casting choices, uh, that we'd be good for. Um, you know, I, I'd get, uh, I go out. Taylor uh, Vaughn, Jody Lynn, Jody Lynn, Jody Lynn Keefe. Yeah, I think. Uh, but but she was good, and uh, you know, I mean, I I could see you in because uh, you're very young looking. Uh, yeah, I could. Uh, you know, without makeup, you look like you're 16. Uh, with makeup, you you could uh, look older. Uh, so uh, you could I definitely couldn't play a mom unless I was a teen mom. Uh, well, I'm trying to think of, of current shows we watch, like, uh, you know, uh, like I'm trying to think. like you, you could be uh, like the, I watched Lethal Weapon, the TV series, and they had a very sexy uh, psychologist. <laughs> Like I could see you playing that, you know, glammed up with the makeup and in mm-hmm. and you know the not the leisure suits, but they would always have her dressed up, you know, very nicely, uh, a more mature uh, look. Uh, it was the girl from uh, the Le- uh, not the the Fast and Furious movies, um, and she was also in the remake of Dallas. Like I could see you in Dallas. Uh, I mean, I guess I can't say the remake. What if I came in and I said, listen. I know you're the biggest casting director in Hollywood. Thank you so much for taking this meeting with me. Um, You've seen my resume. I've played a lot of nurses. I have played some students in high school. My dream role is to be a Bond girl where he comes to Mexico and he meets a southern girl on uh, a trip doing charity work but it turns out her father is a big uh, importer illegal importer and he needs information from this sweet innocent southern girl what would you say well, I mean, I'm trying to think of... Uh, no, you have to do it in character. I just did it in character. Uh, well, I mean, I'm a James Bond fanatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up with... Uh, Sean Connery? Mainly Roger Moore. Uh, 
you know, I believe I tried to get you to watch Moonraker, but I think it was too. Uh, I was watching it. You turned it off. Um, you know, I, you know, we talk about casting James Bond. Certainly, is a fascinating uh, look into casting. You know, first you had George Lazenby, who uh, you know only he did the first one, and then for whatever reasons was uh, let go, and then. You know, the iconic Sean Connery. That's the only James Bond in my mind. Uh, well, you know, that was just a generation before me. So uh, I grew up in, I think, 73 was maybe Roger Moore's first Bond. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's just the guy I grew up with. And uh, I, I liked him because he did things with humor. And then uh, when Roger Moore uh, left, they, you're talking about an interesting casting uh, decisions they wanted Pierce Brosnan, but he couldn't get out of his. Oh, I uh, loved him too. He couldn't get out of Remington Steel, so they went uh, for the next two with Timothy Dalton, who's mm -hmm. like a uh, very uh, trained British actor. And uh, people complained that it was too serious. Now, this was probably in the height of the AIDS, uh, you know, uh, paranoia or whatever you want to call it. So literally. James Bond wasn't like a, a total womanizer. Like Roger Moore was fucking probably five girls a film. I think Timothy Dalton and both of his was like maybe one. And, yeah. And it was almost too, he, he was too good of an actor almost. It was like, well, this is. We don't want a faithful secret agent. We want a secret agent that's a dog. That's a hound. So that's, they bring in Pierce Brosnan. Who was a, he was a kind of a combo I liked of him too, and then they had Halle Berry as his love interest. Yeah, he was a kind of a combo of he had the humor of Roger Moore, maybe the looks of uh, you know a, a younger Sean Connery, and and certainly the acting of Timothy Dalton. So he was a great choice. And then uh, now Daniel Craig, and if you can believe this, I've never seen a Daniel Craig James Bond movie. Uh, oh, I like him as James Bond. Well, he, he, it almost goes to the Timothy Dalton of being, you're just too good of an actor. Like, yeah. I don't necessarily. But I think that the movies like Casino Royale, he fit the script of each of those movies he did. I feel like. Well, it's also a different era. Like certainly now, uh, and I think uh, I was talking about this with someone the other night at the comedy store. Like in the Me Too and Time's Up movement, you talk about casting whoever is the next James Bond because I believe Daniel Craig is leaving the series. Mm -hmm. I know there's rumors. He's going to be gay. Uh, of, well, that would be interesting. Uh, Idris Elba, of course, if you wire, yeah, yeah, yeah. You wire fans will like that. Uh you know, how you go about having a womanizing, swashbuckling, essentially superhero. Uh, I don't know if you can have a character like that in this Me Too times up. You know, you can't have just some misogynistic. But I feel like you can if it's done the right way. I, I mean, I just think... Uh, you, you I mean, know, it's not like a beat it toots type of... But you could, you almost might have, you know, you're going to have to, I mean, I guess Trump's in the White House, so maybe you could have a misogynistic James yeah, Bond. Yeah, you're still doing comedy, so. But I mean, I've changed. I'm just kidding. I mean, I'm pretty uh, female no, friendly. You're good. Uh, but like, it's interesting though, how, you know, I'm, I'm sure even executives for James Bond are like, okay, how do we 
navigate these wacky, you know, it's just a different era, you know, uh, of, uh, you know. So you never told me casting. Do I, I mean, would I cast you in a James Bond movie? I, I mean, it would depend on, uh, you know, I know you laid out a scenario. Like, I'll put it this way. And and if I were to cast you in uh, past, you know, they don't really have a lot of American uh, I know. actresses in James Bond movies. I mean, Halle Berry, certainly. Uh, but, uh, I mean, if it, I'll take a movie from the past of James Bond, like... I could see you as Dr. Goodhead in uh, oh, yeah. Moonraker. That got attacked by the dogs. Which was, a, no, no, no. I could see you as the main doctor, Lois Childs. Because uh, I believe she was an American actress. Uh, you know, they usually like to go for the international flair. Yeah, I'm not exotic enough. And to be you. honest with you, I know you're from Decatur, uh, Alabama. I'm not sure if... Uh, in the past, present, or future, James Bond would have any uh, reason to visit the state of Alabama. Maybe it's a taken situation, like Liam Neeson's movie, and I am overseas. I'm a dumb American overseas. I mean, anything's possible. Like, you know, if Idris Elba uh, is the new James Bond, I mean, if you were to tell me that someday in the future there would be a black James Bond, I'd be like, oh, you're crazy. But now, because the times have changed and uh, certainly actors of color are getting more prominent roles, a black James Bond's completely possible. What if I told you I wanted to be the next pretty woman? Well, yeah, but I could see that. I mean, you know, the hillbilly from (laughs) you know, country bumpkin from Alabama. (laughs) Uh, You know, I could see that. You know, I, James Bond, I would have trouble casting you in, but I would cast you in. Uh, I'm putting it out in the universe. Like I could see you in a superhero movie where you're like the uh, the bad damsel guy. in distress. Oh, I couldn't be the bad guy. Well, there aren't many bad uh, female bad guys, if that makes any sense, which I always love. Like it goes back to I like uh, different. There's a lot of Catwoman. Poison but, Ivy. But there's not, like, I like different take. Like, I like a female bad guy. Harley Quinn. Um, You know, I like uh, a black James Bond would, I think, would be interesting. I mean, I don't know if he would order martinis shaken on Stewart. Probably just uh, Hennessy give me. Hennessy on the rocks. Yeah, give me a Colt 45 in a can. Uh, hello. Uh, but I like, uh, like, you talk about, we were watching Anthony Jeselnik's, uh, special and, and you write very similar style jokes uh you know bait bait and switch yeah. like um i like you know like robocop is a great it kind of goes back to casting where the two main bad guys ronnie cox and kurtwood smith had never played bad guys before and they both lobbied let us read for these parts uh, and I think the directors and, and casting people were like, oh, you guys are like fathers from the 70s, like movies and 60s where you were good guys and farmers. No one's going to believe you guys. And if you look at the two main bad guys from uh, RoboCop, they are iconic. Like they yeah. killed it because it was so different. And I think they both, even as veteran, you know, Kurtwood Smith later became the dad in that 70s. Uh, yeah. 
So like you wouldn't picture the dad from the that seventies as a great villain, but uh, he is. Oh, he was amazing in RoboCop, um, and even uh, the bad guy uh, Alan Rickman in uh, Die Hard. Yeah, uh, was a classically trained actor. R.I.P. Yes, he was uh, Hans von Gruber. He was never a bad guy. But I think that's even like we recently watched the Ted Bundy movie, which and- is a great. Uh, Example, Zac Efron, who was a Disney actor who's now playing a serial killer, one of the most famous serial killers of all time. Um, But it does, like, there's a line in it, and it's true because they really said it in the Ted Bundy case. They were like, you know, serial killers aren't monsters that come out in the nighttime and have fangs and scary beards. Um, They can be regular people. You know, and I think that that's with casting, I think for an actor, it all comes from what's inside of you, like what comes out of your mouth and how your brain can portray the character versus what you look like sometimes. Because I think you can alter how people see you from your tone, from your dialect, from your mannerisms. Um they teach us at in improv and in UCB and stuff how, uh, or any character acting school, character acting school, they teach you that just speaking is one way to communicate a character, is one way to get your character across. Uh, because the way you walk, the way you hold yourself, your mannerisms, um, those are all ways to get your character across without saying a word. Well, I just love uh, when an actor plays a role there, you know, like Ron Perlman, Mm -hmm. you know, certainly you would never dream of him as a a, a outlaw biker leader because he has short hair, Uh, you know, he's he's known for almost uh, hellboy, like cartoonish role, like, and he was amazing in it. And, uh, you know, uh, Harrison Ford as Han Solo was, you know, you know, he beat out a lot of people who might have been visually a better choice. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and even, uh, you know, going back to Rocky, uh, Apollo Creed, Carl Weathers was not the first choice. They wanted the actual uh, heavyweight boxer, Ken Norton, uh, has well, Apollo that's Creed. Well, even... Uh, Michael B. Jordan that plays his son in the new Creed movies is started out doing comedy movies. He was a comedic actor and now he plays serious roles like he's uh, Creed and he was Killamonger in Black Panther which was the villain. Um, So even, you know, like someone gave him a, a lot. Uh, most comedians, most uh comedians that are friends of mine or agents or whatever in Hollywood say it's a lot easier for a a comedic actor to transition into dramatic acting than for a dramatic actor to to transition into comedy. Um, Well, like my favorite movie of all time uh, is it's it's an obscure movie, but people who've and we should watch it because uh, it's it's very 80s i don't know if it necessarily holds up 
you know, in 2019, what's a movie called 52 Pickup? Where, Is it a uh, card movie? Well, it's, um, you know, I'm not sure why they, uh, well, I, I, you know, they start out wanting to, bri- uh, wanting to, uh, it's a movie about Roy Scheider and Anne Margaret. They're married. Um, he cheats on Anne Margaret with Kelly Preston. Does she kill him? Uh, no. Uh, but the three bad guys in it were, uh, like if they ever teach an acting class on how to play a villain, John Glover should teach it because he was just, he played it with such campiness and such almost slightly over the top, but he reined it in just enough where you hated him. Like mm-hmm. you're like, wow, this guy's a scummy guy. He was, uh, before 52 pickup, uh, a serious dramatic actor. He was in like Annie Hall and all these kind of serious type movies. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Clarence Williams III, who uh, for you older people would recognize him as a Link from the Mod Squad, uh, you know, was somewhat of a serious actor. Uh, you know, they all just played these over-the-top bad guys. But in the mid-'80s, I think it came out in 86, it, it just worked. Because um, you could tell they sunk their teeth into, okay, we're not, we're not really this type of character in any roles we've ever had before. Let's do this. Yeah. Which is kind of like, I don't mean to talk about myself, uh, but uh, it's why in the early days of Roast Battle, I loved that show because I got to do something. I'm just like, I'm like Mr. Nice Guy or whatever you want to call me, but to sink your teeth into a bad guy role and like Mm -hmm. an Archie Bunker type race. It's fun to be hated, but I think... You, it's so funny you've never really done improv because essentially you created an improv character on that show. And, I, and but um, you justified, which is the, the golden rule. If you can justify your character's actions or why they think the way they think, even if it's wrong, um, people will trust that character and think it's funny. And I'd never heard of Roast Battle until I met Sarah, Tiana, and then you. Um, because it's just a different world than my comedy grow up. But it's funny that you played that character because it's so opposite of you. But even your stand-up is that way because you're really a nice person. But you're so dark and you justify your house racist that it's funny you know what i mean like you i like when you play that character i'm like oh i know that person i've seen that person yeah i mean it's like if you watch anthony jeselnik you would think well this guy's a dick but he's not but off stage he's like the nicest most sweetest humble uh almost uh you know, awkwardly shy, for lack of a better word, uh, person you'll ever meet. Like, he's amazing. Uh, and we're not even that good of friends. We're more acquaintances, I guess. But, like, if you watch his current special on Netflix, you'd be like, wow, I, this guy must be a dick in real life. And it's kind of like Roddy Piper. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's just really good at portraying that character on stage. Uh, but, like, that's why what got me so into Roast Battle was, like, this is a chance for me once a week to be, to be the biggest dick 
you could, there's nothing I can say that's too over the top because this is back, you know, the first couple of years of the show were like, like insanely uh, uh, over the top. Uh, How did Rose, I'm sorry if your listeners already know this. How did that show start? Like who was like, hey, do you want to go in the belly room and say mean things to each other? It's a great look into the way, uh, and this is why I never shit on anyone's show idea or, um, you know, you know, we all get pitched pilots and TV mm-hmm. ideas and you're like, Jesus, no way. Uh, Roast Battle started when uh, Stephanie Simbari had an open a comic in L.A. She had an open mic in L.A. that was horrible, nothing to do with her. This was a Tuesday night. It was like, yeah, most open mics are horrible. Yeah, it was not horrible because of Stephanie per se, but uh, it was just like the Tuesday night in the belly room. There's literally no audience. It's it's comics. It's usually just forty five year old dudes telling weird sex stories. Yeah, I mean it's just open micers and 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 comics who likely have not much of a chance to get in at the comedy store, getting to hang out at the comedy store, which is is like literally like Chinese water torture. Like you get to perform at a place you'll probably never be in at. So it's like, it's almost like infuriating to you. Uh, So it was a real evil vibe. And then uh, I think she kind of got sick of hosting it and turned over the reins to Brian Moses. And then uh, one night I was in the room. Uh, This is like the first seeds of a show that's now for start over a woman no it was uh two open uh well now one is a uh paid regular at the comedy store the the legend of josh martin who's like a beloved uh comic at the uh comedy store funny he started this but it's crazy so it was josh martin and kenny lyon who's like this insane uh i don't like saying he's an open micer because that's a dismissive term uh He's a younger comic uh, who's a real wild card. Like he used to go on stage at the comedy store completely naked. And uh, he's just crazy. Like he's insane. Uh, And they uh, got into some beef and they wanted to get into a fist fight. And Moses says something to the effect of, uh, uh, you guys can't really, you you can't do that. You, you, You both get kicked out of here. Uh, how about you guys? Uh, I think in the in the black neighborhoods they call it uh, snapping on each other. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I don't know if he said snap each other, but and I don't think he said battle each other because it wasn't really a term yet. But he said, "Why don't you guys roast each other?" And they did. And uh, once again, there's literally I, I don't think there was more than five people in the room. And then I think the next week. Uh, Two other comics went up to Moses. I forget who they were and said, hey, can we do what they did last week? And then uh, I think the third or fourth week I was in the parking lot and Moses came down the stairs and yelled, hey, do you want to battle? He might not have said battle, but he said, do you want to roast Boone? And Boone Chakalaka is like a, uh, you talk about an interesting character. He's like a homeless person maybe mid-transition uh who's like (laughs) he's amazing but only at the comedy store would boone be allowed to go on stage and tell jokes and also sell three dollar stolen t-shirts outside yeah he's just like the improv laugh factory uh the ice house certainly hermosa magic club would not let him on the premises let alone on their stage 
But that's what gives the comedy store their magic. Like they let anyone. They like the freaks. They, they like to dance with the freaks. As Walter Goggins said in Sons of Anarchy, he likes to live close to the flame. And the comedy store likes to have all. Uh, Where literally someone lights a match and the whole place will burn down. All characters uh, come up there and they are welcome uh, as long as they don't uh, bother anyone. But Moses said, do you want to uh, roast Boone? And I'm like, uh, yeah, okay. And then uh, that Boone was my first roast battle opponent. Uh, it's not as easy as you would think. <laughs> Trust it's me. It's hard to roast a crazy person. Yeah, because he has nothing to lose. <laughs> Boone doesn't give a shit about being on television. He probably doesn't know what television is. Uh, so he was not as easy. And I beat him, but it was not. I still say to this day. He doesn't day, know what a phone is. He always goes, uh, look it up. Look it up on that little uh, computer of yours. Look it up on that computer. <laughs> and I still say to this day, you know, they have a, a ranking system in roast battle. I, I don't pay attention to that. Uh, but he would beat. At, they have a top 50. And there's probably uh, another 50 who... There's probably like 100 people who battle regularly. Um, that's crazy. And uh, and that's just in L.A. I know they have uh, roast battle or roast masters in New York. And, and I know it's a few other places. But L.A. is kind of like the hub of, of roast battle. I, Boone would beat... Out of those 100 people who consistently battle, he would beat at least 10 of them. Because mm -hmm. um, like you said, he's crazy. He, mm -hmm. he doesn't care about getting in with Comedy Central. It's uh, like arguing with the crazy person down the street from your yeah. house. Like you, you're not going to win because they don't get what you're saying. So, uh, but then it just, you know, then after that, I think once people saw me, I'm not, I mean, I don't want to take credit for like, you know, uh, the show's evolvement. But yeah, I think once people saw me do it and I, you know, at the time was a semi respected comic, I wasn't passed yet, but you know, I was very well liked on the scene that, well, if Earl did it, maybe I'll do it. And then it started getting uh, a little more popular and, and then uh, it, it just developed. It was literally like that old shampoo commercial from the 70s where you tell two people, they tell two people, and then the, the Brady Bunch squares went and from... it's packed out now. Like, oh, it's five years later. Years, yeah, five years. It's still uh, going strong, and it, it's, you know, they're getting some new blood in it. Uh, you know, there's it's at Clusterfest. It's the closing uh, act of the first night of Clusterfest, which is a big deal. Uh you know, I mean, Todd Barry's in it. Uh, I'm battling again. Uh, Barry Jelly in it. A bit. I will be battling. Rumor has it that I will be battling Robin Tran, my friend. Uh, and then I, I'm not sure who the other battles are. Uh, I think they're uh, undetermined as of yet. But uh, I, I mean, I've been doing comedy for close to 20 years. I've I've never seen a show last longer than two in terms of its popular. Uh, Besides the Ding Dong show. Well, yeah, the Ding Dong shows uh, 23 years at the Comedy Store, longest running show. Uh, outside of the Ding Dong show, I've never seen a, a standalone show be uh, not just around, but popular for five straight years. Um, and that's a testament to Brian Moses for being like the perfect host for the show and uh, Jeff Ross for getting it on television. I mean, he, he got it on TV when none of us could. 
and who knows? Now there's spinoff shows. Jimmy Carr's got one in UK, in the UK. There's there's uh, celebrity ones. Yeah, I believe there's one in Mexico. Uh, Damn. And there's tons of uh, ripoff uh, roast battle. I mean, there's one in Canada. I think it's in Winnipeg that literally uses the same font. Canadians can't roast people. They're too nice. Well, K. Trevor Wilson, who uh, is one of the greats of roast battle, he is. Uh, I mean, that's probably the the victory I'm most proudest of. You know, people think it'd be Jimmy Carr, which was certainly uh, amazing. But to beat K. Trevor Wilson in Canada, where he's like a god, because uh, he's just he's a bigger guy. He's like a lumberjack type looking dude. Right. He knows you're just going to call him fat. And he's like, all right, I'm fat. I still get so you, more pussy you than you. You don't go for the jokes they are ready for. Yeah, you got to like. Uh, you go to the ones that they're never going to expect. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why I'm. Uh, that's why I'm hard to roast because I know I'm going to get hit. Like I know most, and that's why Tiana beat me, uh, because every battle I go up, it's oh, Earl, you're so old that blah blah blah. And if it's a guy, I'm like, well, I look better than you. So like, unless it's Matt Broussard or Lachlan Patterson battling, mm -hmm. I'm going to have the edge, uh, looks wise. Uh, and Earl, you like young girls. Well, uh, what's wrong with that? Like, 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 how is that a bad thing? Uh, you know, uh, and then well, Earl, your cousin was uh, JFK. It's like, well, yeah, uh, my uncle was president of the country. Uh, what'd your uncle do? Uh, you know, so it's like, but Tiana hit me with a I joke. I would go after your mother. Well, yeah, but that's, yeah, I mean, that's a joke that, uh, I mean, I, I think Tiana had a joke about my parents, uh, but like, you have to uh, hit them where, like, they're not expecting it because then like mm. sure, her first joke against me was it was about young girls but it was done in such a way that it was just like wow no one's ever had that angle of attack uh and sarah's I, a genius though oh yeah well she took advantage of me not wanting to go all in it's also like sarah's so nice that even if you're being mean to her she's smiling so it's hard to be mean to her well there's so many uh and i believe me i never thought we would talk about roast battle on the show but Sorry. uh no, no, that's what I love about this show is we hit record and we just go. Uh, is uh, There's so much strategy involved. Like, you know, with, with Tiana, I was like, well, I can't call her fat. And she's not fat. Like, but, you know, it's roast battle. Yeah. You, you have to... Uh, you gotta say, say something mean. mean. Like, yeah. you know, if you and I ever roast battle, and we won't, but you like... You would call me a hillbilly. I would have to say something bad about you even though uh you're obviously very beautiful and very funny i would have to act like you're not funny i mean well your comedy is even though i don't believe it I, that was my problem against tiana is like well i can't call her fat and once again she's not i can't call her uh old and she's not but like that was my most uh, things guys go to when they're battling a girl is they're a whore but in some cases in the world of roast battle they are like <laughs> without yeah. mentioning names uh, and I know Eliza had problems uh, when, uh, you know, certain uh, female comics would be roast battling and they were whores. Like, and they fucked, I shouldn't, I take that back. They fucked a lot of dudes. I always thought that was unfair. When a guy fucks a lot of girls, he's a stud. Well, a girl does it's the, the It's the lock and key theory or the lock and key thing where if uh, uh, girls are locks and guys are keys, and if a lot of keys go in a lock, it's a shitty lock. But if a key can go into a lot of locks, it's a master key. 
Right. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, I've always, and I'm not trying to say this because I have a girl on the podcast, but I've always thought, I, I don't look at a girl as a whore. She fucks a lot of dudes. Yeah. She's, she's a female. I look style. at a man as a whore if he fucks a lot of dudes. What the fuck? <laughs> Hello. Uh, but like Eliza would get upset if, if like Lindsay Jennings, who is a dear friend of mine, she's a suicide girl. Mm-hmm. You know, she likes sex. I'll just say that. So that was a big angle of attack on her. It's like, well, you fucked blah, 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 blah. And Eliza would be like, that's not, that's not empowering towards women or whatever she would say. Yeah. It's like, but she does fuck a lot of dudes. So uh, it's not. It's not not true. Like it, 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 to me, it's, I would agree with Eliza if like, uh, say you and I are battling and I call you a whore or whatever. And that was it. There was it, no joke. But then you, uh, you, you'd only suffer two people in your life. Well, you're obviously not a whore. But it's also, here's the thing. I'm a feminist through and through, but I don't think it's fair for you as a judge to be like, when you sign up for roast battle, you have to go in knowing that you are going to get mean things said to you that may or may not be true. And if you can't handle that, one, welcome to Hollywood, and two, don't do the show. That's the point of the show. They're, they can be digs, but they have to be funny. And if the joke was funny, but it's essentially you saying like, oh, she slept with a lot of dudes and here's the joke. And you're like, well, that's hurting a woman. You wouldn't say that if I said that about a dude. You wouldn't say, well, that's hurting a man. So it just makes me mad that she's like, you can do any jokes, but you can't like, does that make sense what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. I mean, it it's goes. Like, it's either all jokes or no jokes in my book. Well, it goes back to, uh, you know, my um, thing with, you know, roast battle. If someone called me a whore, I'd be like, that's not what you were saying last night when you tried to fuck me, bro. Yeah. You know, like the, there's an easy comeback. Well, I, as long as it's true, I have no problem with the joke. Like yeah. that, that's always been my thing with roast battle is, uh, you know, like my parents died two months apart. So if you have a joke about it, uh, you know, I can't get mad at it because it's uh, I'm, I certainly won't like it. But uh, and I hope Robin's not listening to this episode. But uh, uh, you know, it, as long as it's true. Like if I fucked, uh, uh, like we had one uh, situation that, uh, without mentioning names, where it was uh, uh, there was a couple people in the room, and uh, a guy's girlfriend was battling. Uh, she was battling another girl, and uh, I guess this guy was uh, DMing the other girl. And uh, the girl brought it up to the girlfriend in mid-battle. And uh, it was a horrible thing to bring up (laughs) mid-battle. But it's a shock value. Did she bring up, did she show the DMs to her on stage? she did. But it it was true. So has... That's uh, Oh my God, what an out, too. But as shitty as that was, it was true. Well, you know, it's like, uh, I think the... But see, here's the thing. Girls are mean. Like last night we're at the store and uh, we always stay for Don Barris, who's very funny. And I was on stage with two girls who are my friends. And I always play a character because everything we say at the store is usually a joke. Right. Um, and one of the other females said to me, let's roast as a joke. And like, I was like, oh yeah, let's roast like as a joke. And then she was like, no, no, let's do it. Let's do it. And I was like, 
I know you well enough to know that I'm competitive and would say what it takes to get the laugh in the room and to win. And it would hurt your feelings. Well, in her defense, she was uh, possibly on several substances. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I would have never done it because it's like I'm not I, – I don't – I don't think I could do roast battle because I think I would do whatever it took to get the laugh and the win and it I would be the most hated person. Well, I mean, I, well, I don't know. I mean, like I think roast battle uh, to me and obviously I'm doing it again so I you know, I, I like the show, but like in the early days I really think it was about a joke. Okay, I'm going to okay, Earl and Chandler are battling. Let's see who the better joke writer is. Uh, right. But then, you know, with TV coming in around and, and, you know, TV, I think, changes everything. Everyone uh, turns into clout chasers. Yeah, and then you... Uh, and I don't care enough. Like, if it was fun and it would... Yeah, but I, I don't know. I don't want to... I don't get the sense of now everyone's trying to be a bully to get famous. See, I think I, I disagree with you. Like I think at least how I, and now I'm friends with Robin. So it, uh, you know, I will call her if, if it is indeed her I'm battling and say, listen, is there anything you don't want to bring up? Right. But uh, that's the normal thing to do. Well, but if it's someone I don't know, uh, it's like, hey, okay, you signed up for it. And I won't never right. battle someone I don't know ever again. Uh, no, but I'm saying like in general at the store, though, is what oh, I'm saying, yeah. is um, great. You can write a great yo. It's almost like a yo mama joke. You can write a wonderful yo mama joke, but also as I, I'm a writer in Los Angeles. Uh, I'm a comedy writer, if any of the listeners are curious. Well, well let's just so they and, know you're qualified, because everyone says they're a writer or a comic, and when's the last gig you've had? Oh, se seven months ago. You write for uh, Riggles Picks on NFL Fox? Yeah, and I uh, am writing on a Discovery show right now. So so you're like a legit, you're in the Writer's Guild, and and you're also yeah. a very... And I write for UCB. I, I, I write sketches for a living. Because you I, do UCB? Yes, and I and I pump up, I punch up a few bigger comics acts for them and polish their material because most bigger comics have a few writers on retainer. Um, so for me going into the world, seeing roast battle, I think it's fascinating because I think dark jokes are funny and if it's all in good fun, I think it's fun to watch a battle and like the energy's fun in the room. And you took me in my first roast battle when you were judging and it's great, but I wish that they understood that just because you can write a good, like joke at someone, you also need to be able to write jokes on the world or on material. Like you need to also polish your stand up material. If you want to be a stand up comic, you're not gonna like. You're not gonna do stand up off of roast battle jokes. Well, that's what I tell. Like, uh, I'm like a fatherly figure up at the comedy store, and I think a lot of the younger, uh, not necessarily in age, but younger comics. You know, I started at 30, so at 32, I was a young comic. Uh, you know, in terms of my experience, I mm -hmm. I tell them like, you know, stop trying to line up your next battle, and and work on your stand-up because you know roast battle gives you uh i don't even think it gives you 15 minutes of fame it, it gives you like right. three minutes uh and then 
uh, and I've certainly, you know, and you know, I, I had my issues with the show on point, uh, and you know, Comedy Central and, and you know, certain people on the show. I'm clearly doing it again, so I'm everything's all you know. Or is that all just a plot? Like, not really. Old wrestling. No, I'm no, I meant it. I there's not. Oh, one. I know. I know. You don't say anything on the internet that you don't mean just like when you gave out our home phone number yeah i mean like i was uh you know uh talking with a pretty big comic the other night at the comedy store and uh, they asked me about were you really mad at comedy central and and you know this person and that person i'm like yeah <laughs> i was but i think it's just shocking because no one sees that anymore well i think uh it, it goes to uh uh someone recently said I was a great shit talker and like, I, I, I don't think I talk shit at all. I talk fact. I'm a great fact talker because talking shit is like, you're just pointing out what no one else is. I feel like your attitude is very well. I'm just going to say what everyone else was thinking. Oh yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, I mean, I, you know, obviously I want to get on Comedy Central as a comic. They're, it's basically Comedy Central and Netflix. I mean, mm -hmm. I certainly wasn't uh, trying to burn a bridge with 50% of my options. What if Adult Swim gave you a stand-up special? In a cartoon form. <laughs> uh, they made it. A, a, a berry awesome. jelly. Are there any... Uh, I know you get great graphics for your podcast from a listener, but like this is the great Andrew Stovkin. If I can, you know, I love. I've always said on this podcast, I want to be like the le much, 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 much lesser version of Joe Rogan. Like Joe has had Hinchcliffe on. He made Tony. Uh, I don't want. I don't know if I would say he made Tony, but he helped Tony out a lot. Uh, Duncan, Ari, Joey Diaz. I love helping people. So if you ever need podcast art. Or any art at all uh, for an album cover, podcast, uh, a book, whatever. Andrew Stovekin is the one who from date. You just want some Instagram clout pictures. Yeah. I mean, he just sent me another one uh, last night. Uh, he is uh, very uh, good and, you know, he won't prank your wallet. Uh, and, you know, it, it's hard to stand out on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you're trying to get noticed on. And, and good artwork is, especially if you have a. A podcast uh, artwork, if you look at the top 20 on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, really the top 50, most of the top 50 have uh, very good uh, artwork. You know. Yeah, well, also, a lot of people don't know, um, podcasts are expensive to make, and they're free for you guys. Free content. Our podcast is doing a photo shoot that costs money to get our new artwork for. So... Yeah, I mean, you, it's always nice when you. It's, but this always brings this. Is what I was talking about. If any of you are animators and want to animate a clip of Earl's podcast, let us know. Or if you want to do the first animated stand-up special ever. Yeah, how funny would that be? That would be like it's, it would be but, incredible. A cartoon. That seems voice over the entire stand-up special. But that seems like a crazy idea. Like put a, uh, a put a laugh track in. <laughs> but, oh, I've always wanted to do that. I, you know, uh, when they I do that, you know that, right? Oh well, I mean, yeah, I, I guess. Like when you know a joke and you've seen, uh, you know, we've all we know most of the comics who are on Netflix. Uh, yeah, it's Jessel Nick's whole thing I've seen before. But like. 
you know, I've seen some comics. Uh, it's like, okay, I know that joke. I've heard it a hundred times. It's never really gotten that reaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, but an animated stand-up special, I wouldn't. It sounds like a too crazy of an idea. But going back to roast battle, you know, if you were to tell me uh, after Kenny Line and Josh Martin did what they did, like that, that would be a show that's going on probably a four season on TV. I know they haven't announced it, but I, I'm guessing there will be one uh, uh, closing out Montreal comedy festival, uh, UK with Jimmy Carr. Uh, I'd be like, you're nuts from this. So we're going to trademark it now. Yeah. That's already uh, trademarked. We said it on May 10th at 6 PM Pacific standard time. The Earl's going to do an animated comedy special. So if any of you clout Hollywood stealing motherfuckers steal that idea, it is recorded and on the internet and I'm Jewish and have really good lawyers and we will sue you. Oh, Chandler does. You don't want to be on her bad side. Trust me on that I'll one. I'll find you too. I have a specific set of skills. Um, speaking of animated, uh, you know, let's let's get the plugs out of the way. Uh, next Sunday, uh, that would be uh, May 19th at, I believe, midnight. Uh, Barry Jelly, Cornell Jelly, my lovely wife. Uh, Wait, you're married? The great A.J. Johnson. Phil Lamar, the legend of the voiceover world, uh, Lionel Boyce, uh, the Jellies is back on Adult Swim next Sunday night. Please uh, watch it. And, uh, you know, they're starting the uh, trailers and previews. And I didn't even know we won an award for best series. You know, I'm, I'm kept out of the loop on everything. Uh, <laughs> like how you're like one of the leads and don't know anything about your cartoon. Like I didn't even know. I had no idea we won an award for best series of something uh, at the Chumash uh, festival or something. I don't know. Uh, so that's exciting. Uh, I have a question about Barry Jelly. Yes. Well, we're going to do our, our own standalone. Uh, maybe next week we'll do a, a preview of the uh, jellies. Uh, but uh, before we wrap up, which is what I love about this podcast, like we originally started I thought, oh, we'll talk about 20 minutes, 30 minutes about Miami Vice. And here we are literally close to two hours later. We've talked casting. We've talked pro wrestling. So, uh, no, I love it. This is really why I originally started this podcast was just to talk with friends. And we're sober. Yes. A little bit of CBD tea, but there's no THC in that. uh, We are at uh, one hour and 42 minutes. I will say, guys, um... The jellies is really fucking funny. My friends, I got them on it, and I'm sure all of you are for fans of Earl, so you've watched it. But like, get your friends to watch it. Like, if you're if you like to smoke weed, it's a fun show to I'm sure watch stoned. If you wanna, I like cartoons. Earl makes fun of me. I like cartoons for background noise. Um, it's a like it's a funny cartoon. Well, it's a labor of love. It's I very mean, Rick and Morty esque. Uh, there's so many people to thank. I mean, it's like now I know how people feel when they get an award. They like don't want to forget anyone. It's like obviously Tyler and Lionel uh, are the the brains of the show, and uh, you know, 
the producer Patty. I don't want to say her last name because then I know all you people fucking bug her. Hey, Earl told me to call you about my animated project. Uh, but Patty's like been awesome, and uh, you know she hooked me up with my voiceover agent CESD, the best. They've restored my faith in this business with how they treat people. Uh, you know, because the world of stand up is. Everyone watch the show and give it big ratings so that Earl will marry me because he'll get big royalty checks. Yeah, you get those fat royalty checks. I mean, but that's how it starts. I mean, you know, South Park started out as a labor of love. You know, two wacky white dudes with their idea. can't carry us on my writer's salary anymore. And, you know, as much as the comedy store has been my heaven on earth, uh, you know, Twenty dollar sets don't make a life worth living. Uh, although those main room checks don't suck. Uh, and I also watch. You know, I'm dying up here. Has been uh, weirdly been playing on uh, yeah, Showtime. Tweet, tweet so Showtime and be like, uh, is this show coming back? Uh, and you could see clips of the Earl Skakel acting school, uh, where I just literally uh, looked to an extra going ma 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 ma, and they kept it in. So uh, you know. Uh, Please, uh, you know, watch. I, I, you know, it's canceled. Obviously, I don't think it's coming back. But uh, who knows? I don't recall many canceled shows getting replayed again. And uh, also look for our sex tape on Pornhub. Yeah, and you could also go on uh, follow me on at Earl Skakel on all social media. That's uh, if I have to spell my name out for my fucking fan base. This is where I'm at in life. But E A R L. S-K-A-K-E-L on Twitter and Instagram. And, you know, just Earl Skakel on Facebook. Chandler, where can the people find you? At Sex Panther 696969. He's he's telling me to stop the shtick. Uh, it's just my name, Chandler. C-H-A-N-D-L-E-R. Barbie. B-A-R-B-E-E. And that's on both Instagram yeah, and Twitter. On everything. And do you have anything here on Twitter? Uh, she's killing it on Twitter, usually at my expense. Uh, do you have? Uh, I know you're writing uh, and uh, doing the Discovery Show with Rob Riggle. Uh, yeah, I, I we have a TV show coming out this summer with uh, Steph Curry, who's executive producing that we shot this spring called Holy Moly. It's an extreme. A mini golf show. It's very funny. There's surprise guests. I pitched a few jokes on it. Um, and then I'll be off traveling all summer shooting a discovery show, uh, uh, which is a comedy. And then in the fall, which is very close, Riggles Picks season eight will be on Fox NFL Sundays. That's yes. If you're a football fan, which uh, I am, of course, I get up. You know, I'm a fan of something when I get up before 10 uh, a.m. on any day. But, and you if know, you're sorry. I'm a Steeler fan, so uh, Steelers will be playing the Chargers week six. I get, go. get to, uh, you know, the Steelers rarely uh, come uh, west of Denver. And if you're a sports fan, I produce a sports and comedy podcast called Riggles Picks with Rob Riggle and Sarah Tiana. And don't worry if you like ho hockey because I've been bringing up all the hockey gossip recently on it yes uh this has been a great uh season so far of uh, nhl hockey in the playoffs it's uh you know the number uh the top two uh, rated seeds uh tampa bay lightning uh and uh the calgary flames lost in the first round 
So it's been a real wild card of uh, anyone can win it. My boys at Columbus lost. I'm sad. Yes, uh, John, the, the great uh, Columbus Blue Jackets kind of ran out of steam uh, a little bit against uh, Boston, but they gave it a good run. And uh, so we have four teams left in the NHL playoffs. We have the Boston Bruins up one game to none against the Carolina Hurricanes. And then in the uh, West, we have the... Uh, of a series it's not getting a lot of attention just because it's not the most sexy of matchups but the st louis blues which uh, had the worst record in the league on january 5th and now they're they are in the western conference finals against the san jose sharks so uh, that's a very good series uh so it's a four these four teams probably were not uh picked by any prognosticators maybe the sharks uh and uh you know, it's gonna be a very interesting off-season in hockey, especially for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, you know, a podcast is doing well when you're ending with uh, the roster shakeup of the Columbus Blue Jackets. I like it. Well, but the Blue Jackets, to you people who follow hockey, uh, they have uh, all their good players essentially are free agents. Uh, Sergei Bobrovsky, uh, the bread man, Panarin, uh, Matt Duchesne, uh, Dezingle, uh you know, at the trade deadline, they had the choice. Do we trade these guys, get some picks and younger players back to help us down the road, or do we keep them all and go for a run? And they kept them all. They went for a run. Gambled. They gambled, and uh, I can't say they lost because I think Columbus was the talk of the hockey world for two weeks. And uh, now come uh, July 1st, which is free agency, they're going to probably lose a few of those guys and uh, hopefully uh, – uh, you know, they pick up where they left off because it was a fun story to see a team from the South do well. Um, I'm sure the NHL is not unpleased that uh, Columbus did not get to the Stanley Cup finals. It's not a TV market exactly. So uh, this has been a very fun episode of Inappropriate Earl. Uh, like I said at the top of it, please rate, review, and subscribe. And, uh, you know, say how you feel. Obviously, I want good ratings and good rankings. But uh, if you don't like the show, say why not. I think one of my favorite reviews... Out of the 200-plus actual reviews I have is one guy said, and once again, I can't take them down, uh, and I wouldn't have taken this one down. He said, I used to love this podcast. He used to have cool guests like the singers from Rat and the drummer from Cinderella, and now it's just a bunch of unknown comics I don't think are funny. Unsubscribe. <laughs> guy kept it real. He kept it real. If I could pull up his name right now, I would. Uh, so That's probably what they're going to say about me. Yeah, but you know what? I, you know, like you said, uh, uh, I remember one time I took my friend to go see George Carlin at the Hermosa Magic Club, and this was, you know, pretty soon before he and died. You saw David Blaine before he was famous. <laughs> no, and uh, no. I mean, like George Carlin to me is the greatest comic of all time. I know that's another argument for another day. And my friend walked out after 10 minutes. I'm like, what are you doing? That's like a living legend in the room. He's like, I'm going to go look for some pussy on the boardwalk. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> I just, like that guy. It's just, uh, that guy is the guy you're talking to right now. Hello. No, I'm just kidding. But that was my, that was my friend. And uh, so, you know, if George Carlin has people who don't think he's funny, I can imagine the people who don't think I'm funny or, you know, uh, the people who don't like this podcast, you, even Rogan's podcast, you look, he has literally a hundred thousand reviews and like a thousand negatives, you know, even like you look at, uh, that's a pretty good percentage, but like, it always wears me out. Like, you know, like Queen's performance at uh, Live Aid is hailed as one of the greatest live performances in the history of uh, 
music and yeah. the, the YouTube video has like literally, I, I don't know, like hundreds of millions of uh, likes and there's like, like a hundred thousand people who thought it sucked. Like, who are you people? Like to say, Me. I don't even like Queen Wait, that much. Do you know what my favorite thing to do is? And never mind, I'm not going to tell you anymore. No, no, keep talking. I'm going to find this guy. I want to give this guy oh, a plug okay, who okay. left a bad review. So I'm going to tell you a story of uh, a hater thing that I do. People who wronged me in Hollywood, who are trying to be actors, who are upcoming actors, I say in quotations, who make me angry, maybe try to get me to move off a seat when I'm at a show, who look at me the wrong way. I don't know what you've done to me, but I find out you're trying to be an actor. I look you up on YouTube. I find your actor's reels that you send to, uh, or either stand-up reels that you send to casting directors. I make multiple YouTube accounts, and I give you a bunch of dislikes <laughs> so that you see them and you cry. Okay, I'm going to go the to revenge. most uh, critical reviews. Okay, now I don't, uh, well, there's, I'm going to read some of the bad reviews of this podcast. I like it. Because I think hopefully this will stimulate people to just leave a review. Uh, the first bad review is from October 16th, 2017. Someone uh, by the name of... That was my birthday. October 16th. Maybe it was you, you bitch. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> it probably was. <laughs> some guy by the name of, I don't know if this is his Twitter handle, Instagram, but follow him, Toddzilla. Uh, this guy plays it safer than any podcaster out there. Very much afraid to have a conversation that can be even slightly uncomfortable. Contrary to his stage persona, Skakel more than anything wants to ingratiate himself to his guest. He'll push back when they're gone. Part of listening to a good interview is the joy of an honest give and take, leading to a little more understanding of the person. Skakel wants to only show his agreement and be liked. So really, why bother? <laughs> I feel like is that a joke because you are the you love controversy more than anyone. Well, I understand what he's saying, <laughs> but this is just how I approach this podcast. When I have a guest that I don't know necessarily and we're talking about a subject that, you know, is You're could nice be them. controversial, it's not my uh goal to antagonize them. Uh, you know, if that happens, great. I've I've certainly called out some people on this podcast, but I'm not going to sit there and attack. They're a guest in your home where you may or may not be a serial killer. Yeah. So, and then so uh, you being mean might scare them. And then here's another one. It's really only the only other truly negative review. Uh, concert uh space vet. So concert vet. Uh, started off good with interviews like Stephen Piercy of Rat. But lately, the guests were mainly comedians, ones you probably have never un ones you probably have never heard of. Unsubscribed. <laughs> <laughs> I like the fact when they tell you, like that's what they leave on our. Uh, I get so many mean tweets from like fifty-year-old dudes on Twitter from our podcast, but I think it's funny always on the review when they tell you they've unsubscribed, which probably means they haven't. They're like, "Listen, bitch." <laughs> but here's. You know, we'll leave uh, on a, a more positive note. Uh, here's from Master Nader eighty five. Um, <laughs> I, I, 
I almost don't Wait, want to. Wait, there's someone on Instagram, a fan that follows me, and their like name says, I shit when I come. I'm like, what? <laughs> anyway. Uh, their review of me is uh, from April 19th, 2019. I saw you in I'm Dying Up Here and also heard legendary stories about you on Danish O'Neill. Awesome podcast. So, you know, you can leave. Uh, I saw, here's one from California Driven. Uh, I saw Earl at the Comedy Store and on Roast Battle, so I figured I would give it a shot. This is one of my favorite podcasts now, Earl. You the man. So you, you, that's a nice cross-section of negative and positive reviews. Do me read one that's funny. From Riggle's yeah. Picks? Here's one. I got one star uh, a couple of months ago, and it says, the title is Lame from Ryan Judas. It says, these people are not funny. Please get another job. And then someone else gave us a good review, but gave us one star. How do... Well, they probably didn't know how to... Uh, oh, count. wait a minute. Let me uh, read this review, I guess. <laughs> what is it? Hold on. Uh, this coming from Chan Barb. Oh. Earl Snake-like. <laughs> is the king of mixing 80s comedy, sports, and rock and roll. And then there's three ducks in a row. I don't know what the hell that means. Uh, to be honest, I think I had, had a couple of glasses of rosé when I did that. So, and then, uh, you know, a couple other ones. This podcast saved my marriage. Um, it's, it's, I don't know if... Uh, the host of this podcast sounds like he has soft hands. Uh, let me see. Uh, Earl's a comedy grinder, a guy who cares about his jokes and doesn't compromise for palmers and slobs of the industry. <laughs> Give him a listen. Thank you, Jason Long. Uh, so you get the idea. Uh, you know, please rate, review, and subscribe. Yeah, I gave him a fucking review. This has been inappropriate, Earl. SoundCloud and Apple Podcast. Uh, you know, uh, Chandler put it in my head to release an episode uh, every Tuesday, you know, be consistent. I know Riggles Picks is released when? Every Thursday for two years now. Every Thursday. I, you know, I might go back to it's my... Like one week off and our fans lost their goddamn mind. I might go back to a degree uh, until I find a uh, regular guest pattern to, like, this podcast will be released tomorrow on a Saturday morning. Uh, you know, just releasing them when I do them. But uh, we'll see. You know, it's I'm still learning how to be better at this. Um, and uh, hopefully you guys enjoy it. Uh, I know we have uh, some cool guests coming up. Leah Lamar uh, is coming up, who has a, you know, I don't usually plug other people's podcasts, but Leah's very cool. She has a cool podcast where she sets up two people who are single, obviously. And uh, she set us up. Just kidding. She didn't. That was Sarah Tiana. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, and uh, Leo, come on, talk about that podcast where she sets up two single people. They go out on the date. They come back, and whether the date went good or bad, talk about it. We also have Britt Panella uh, for you 80s metalheads, uh, Blackboard Jungle fame. Uh, he's been on the show. He's also a big San Jose Sharks fan. And uh, we've got Jonathan Davis coming on again to talk hockey. Uh, maybe Dennis Bernstein. Maybe the mayor, John Hoban. Maybe Earl will take his equipment to Clusterfest and interview people there yeah i mean that would be you know, like i would love to have anthony jeselnik on uh just because we started doing open mics and uh somewhere along the way we lost uh i lost the path uh 
Also, uh, Winnie Cummings has said she would do the podcast, but uh, she'll be a Clusterfest judging roast battle. So, uh, you know, uh, I might, uh, for one of the very rare times, go mobile with a podcast, uh, which I'm not that good at. Tell your mothers happy Mother's Day. Just happy Mother's Day, you guys. Uh, I lost my mom in 98. Miss her every day. So uh, happy Mother's Day to Virginia Weinman Skakel. Uh, for those of you who wonder why I'm so insane, uh, you can thank my mom uh, from Cartersville, Georgia. And uh, she's with my dad right now, James Curtis Skakel, up in heaven with all my deceased dogs. We'll end the podcast and see if I can name all of my deceased dogs. Should I count? It's a lot. <laughs> uh, so I was raised around dogs my whole life. My mom was like a a bullpen uh, coach. As soon as the starting pitcher died, she'd send in another one. And that was how we were you with dogs. Also, when I first came to your house, you showed me on your nightstand, you have four little boxes. Yes. And you pointed to them. And you said, these are my doggies. Ashes. And I was like, oh, okay. This guy really loves dogs. Yes, I have my deceased... My last four deceased dogs' ashes are on my nightstand. That's, That's a little weird, but... It's the great Messier, the loss of Afsa, with the biggest set of balls I've ever seen on an animal. Uh, Mama, the Maltese, who was a male... Uh, my mom bought me Mama and said, if I'm buying this dog, you're going to name it when I want. Um, and That's then, such a power move. You talk about a flex. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Bookaboom, who I named, yes, after Jeff Bookaboom, the hockey player, the Japanese Chen, lived 16 years. I miss him a lot still. And probably the weirdest uh dog i've ever had i don't talk about her a lot because i had her only for four months but uh when mama died bookaboom was a, a lonely uh, dog he was very sad that mama died i did not want to get him another dog that looked like mama because i thought oh maybe he'll get confused so i bought him a japanese chin by the name of chloe who i named after mary lynn reich cub's character on 24 and uh, chloe died after four months she had uh, strokes or i can just hear the reviews skyrocketing for this episode uh <laughs> and uh, i had to put her down so uh chloe was only with me for four months and then that got me to bookaboom passing away and, and you got princess piglet lois and i've got lois who uh, is still kicking she's about 10 years old so she I'm, just celebrated her birthday yes uh, unofficially you know with dogs you never really know what their actual birthday is uh unless you buy them from a puppy mill because they keep track uh so you know this has been inappropriate earl soundcloud and apple podcast you know the drill and these are all the deceased dogs from my past first you have tracy and then her three children mickey maddie and freddie and then uh, baseball was run over by a car. Um, Tiger was the dog I named after Tiger Williams, the hockey player. And then uh, Tex Cobb, uh, the boxer who got the shit beat out of him by Larry Holmes. We literally went out and bought a dog to name it Tex. He uh, passed away. And then there was uh, Sheba. Uh, Sheba had four children. Three passed away under the bed. Because I was home alone, uh, 
and I couldn't reach them. So Bubba was the only surviving member of Sheba's clan. Bubba passed away recently. There was Grassi, the German shepherd who blew away in the uh, Florida Bay on a hurricane. <laughs> It's not funny. It's not funny, but it just goes to show you my parents. We lived uh, when they moved to Florida in 1988. They literally lived on Sunset Island number one, which was in Miami Vice a lot, the TV series, because it's a lot of Art Deco mansions. And uh, we lived literally 10 feet from the bay. So our pool ended, and then you had a little bit of a concrete walk, and then the bay, no fence. Uh, <laughs> so when we would have hurricanes, and if you're familiar with the Florida weather, uh, the hurricanes in uh, Florida are no joke. They're not baby hurricanes They because they all come off the Gulf of Mexico or they come up from Puerto Rico, and they're severe hurricanes. A dog should be put inside. My parents did not believe in that. Um, so Grassi was blown into the bay and has not been seen since. I'll assume this being 20 years ago, maybe even longer. She's probably not with us anymore. Uh, and then there was Messier, the great Lhasa Apsa, who was maybe a 10-pound outdoor dog in Miami. How she or how he survived is a miracle to me. So that would be, uh, and then we had Bookaboom. Chloe, uh, Mama, and now Lois. So we've got about 20 deceased those, animals. Those 17, counting Lois. And I might even be missing one or two. Uh, but uh, I love dogs, uh, which is why it was so hard for me to root for Michael Vick when he was the quarterback of the Steelers. But, hey, he treated the winners well. We'll leave on that note. I love you all. The Jellies, next Sunday night, Adult Swim. Tweet it out. Instagram, follow Tyler the Creator, follow Mustache Man Lionel Boyce. That's I'm not sure how to spell mustache, but that's uh, he's on Twitter and Instagram and uh, Comedy Store tonight. But by the time this is released, uh, that set will be nothing but ancient memory. And uh, I thank you for the support. This podcast has been a labor of love. I do it for you guys. And I actually do do it for you guys because I make no money doing this. You said doo-doo. Doo-doo and Ghana, my new favorite heavyweight boxer. So I love you guys. And uh, thanks for all the uh, support you guys give me in DMs and whatnot. I appreciate it. 20 years in the game. Daddy's not giving up because I'm a fucking foot soldier. No one's taking me down. Nobody. And June 21st, Comedy Central has seen the error of their ways. I should have gotten all three seasons of Roast Battle. I was a founding father. I beat everyone they put up against me who were better writers. Let's put this guy up against Earl. Earl will make them exciting. I also made them go home. I'm the man. Tweet at Roast Battle that you're glad daddy's back. Because if you put all those other roast battlers on an edge and they jumped off. Should we get the house hashtag going? Daddy's back. Daddy's back roast battle against possibly Robin Tran, my friend. But on June 21st, she will be my enemy. 
And then I get to do stand-up at Clusterfest. Just when you guys think you have all the answers, I change the questions. 50 years old, I've got the body of a 20-year-old because I don't abuse myself with drugs, you fucking slobs. All you people who talk shit about me. I hear you. I've got moles everywhere. All you loser roast battle comics, stop lining up your next battle and work on your stand-up because most of you walk more people than the Million Man March, you fools. Rest in peace, Ralphie May. Rest in peace, Brody Stevens. And by the way, you people still tweeting pictures of you and Brody, stop. You're not going to be any funnier with eight pictures of you and Brody at an open mic in Burbank. You, you shameless bastards trying to get on Tripoli's show at the comedy store, uh, the second show, when half that lineup didn't even fucking know Brody. They probably thought it was the fucking chief from Jaws, you idiots. Yeah.